0: All right, Normal People by Sally Rooney.
1: They call her the great American novelist, the great millennial novelist. She's 27, Cassidy's age, 27, 28. And uh, only problem is she lives in
2: Europe. This is a (laughs) travesty.
0: It's a travesty. Yeah, we can't let that happen. Sally who? I don't know.
1: But uh, I did wanna read the epigraph that she chose for this book because my ad hominems aside, which is all in good fun, I do think it's an important book. I read it once and thought, eh, it's kinda like a YA meets literary fiction sort of thing. Mm -hmm. This will pass over, this will blow over, but since meeting you and thinking, I I decided to give it another shot And I think there's a lot going on in these pages, like very interesting things that will keep this book around for a while. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know if it's Catcher in the Rye material, but I do think in like 20 years, this will be something people go back and look at because it it seems to be like, it seems, I don't know what the metaphor is, but it seems to be one of those sticks gauging or taking a thermometer. Okay. of our time. So here's the epigraph, and I think in some sense it it shows us her hand, what she or her editor or just she alone is trying to do with this book. And I'd, I'd like your I'd like your opinion.
2: Okay. So this is from
1: George Eliot, and I haven't heard this story, but it's called Danielle Duranda. So here's the uh, epigraph. It is one of the secrets in that change of mental poise, which has been fitly named conversion, that to many among us neither heaven nor earth has any revelation till some personality touches theirs with a peculiar influence,
2: subduing them into receptiveness. Hmm. Okay,
0: what do you think that means?
1: I think it means a lot of different things, but one of the words that stands out to me is conversion in the middle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how this is a, if I want to frame it this way, how this is a secular book, secular book. I put it in quotations because Paul Vanderclay yesterday came out with a talk where he looked at Luke and other people's uh, conversation about the Joker. And anyway, mm-hmm. he used a number of people, personalities, to make the case that. The idea of the secular is actually (laughs) terminology and philosophy that comes straight out of a historical movement, a historical exit, namely the Protestant Revolution or Reformation. Like the category of the secular didn't, he claims, exist before a bunch of Christians said, no, you other Christians don't
2: have it right. Hmm. So it's know, we've like been a- doing
0: that since the beginning, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: is, is that a new phenomenon?
2: Oh, hold on. Uh, yeah, no, I'll talk to you.
0: Sorry, we're we're having a meeting here. This is business. <laughs> oh, did you freeze? I'm here. Okay. Um what was I gonna say? Oh yeah. That's interesting. I'll have to I'll have to listen to that talk. I've been really behind on Paul stuff. It's been crazy, but <clears throat> <laughs> um interesting. So how do we beat Sally Rooney? How do we make her non- existent
1: (laughs) i do believe that books are in conversation with other books like i think that's how they exist and so if they're not in conversation with the other books of their tradition they don't exist it's like a tree falling in a forest if there's nobody to hear it it hasn't fallen if a book has been written but it's not in dialogue with other books it's not aware of the moves it's making in relationship with other moves that have been taken, then it doesn't, it's, it may be an alphabet, but it's not literature. What's your opinion? It's almost like what I mean is, every comedian who writes a joke is writing it in response to a joke they've heard and touched on But again, that's just me talking. What do you think?
0: I think it's a, I think it's a mix. <laughs> Because I think there, I, I think there is truth that we're inspired by the things around us, and there are no new ideas. But I also think that there are new voices in the way that they say them, and to just rely on the things around you to dictate your voice leads you to being just one of the many. Um, but I mean we get inspiration from so many things. And like as far as a tree falling in the forest, I tend to be in the camp. If it falls, it falls, whether we see it or not. So um that makes me want to not agree with your point on literature, but
1: Facts are facts. They don't care about our feelings. They don't,
0: they don't care about your feelings about our sex, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh Ben Shapiro would be so proud of me. <laughs> You're a good
2: advocate of the real.
0: Um, well, the real is real whether we like to acknowledge it or not. And maybe we don't totally understand the real, and maybe there's some mystic part to the real, but it's real in any case. <laughs> <laughs> but um mm. yeah, how that plays with literature is hard because what we're doing with literature, even fantasy, we're taking these Things that we see in the world these true things and then removing that and then placing it into this other created world which is like this reflection of reality like um, like a shadow of it yeah. but like that's why within narrative nonfiction works in general, there's this deep-seated wisdom that we can gain from and learn from to, to parallel with the real world.
2: I like that. It deepens
1: our question so what kind of world do we want to manifest for the purposes of that radiation
0: yeah i i don't know i like the idea of creating this world like because you want to write the great modern love story but i don't think you have to write a modern love story in modern times to really capture the ideals of modern love. I think love is timeless. So I like the idea of going back to like maybe something in early Americas and like in like a small town in like um, like in this like tiny little fishing village or something. I was looking up old like or not old but like. I guess they are old, but like um, like small little lake towns in America. And I found a couple. There's a couple in New York. There was a one in uh, um one in sorry. Let me pull up my notes. Um, one in Oregon. But the one um oh, the one that I kind of kept getting drawn to was Devil Lake. North Dakota <laughs> <laughs> it's this really old sort of um lake and they have all these houses that like are surrounded by water you should look at the images it's interesting I will. But I, yeah but there's a couple other there was a couple in New York um that I, I kind of liked like there was one called Oswego New York um and that means outpouring, Mm. which I found to be interesting. And I know you like names of things. And then Hammondsport, New York, um, that's like a a lake that's shaped like a Y, which I find sort of interesting. And then the other one that I looked at, and I just looked at this briefly, so there's nothing (laughs) we have to set in stone, but Oaks Ridge, Oregon. And I think I just liked it because it was in Oregon, (laughs) but um, I don't know. I like the idea of setting a fantasy world in a real place in the Americas and like creating this like American myth, (laughs) like wrapped in a love story. With that A B version.
2: Absolutely. And knock on some wood. Some of the best series
1: take place in a world that people can participate in.
0: Man, I um, don't agree with series. I agree to a book. <laughs> I'm
1: not. I'm not saying we write a series. I'm just saying the the seed is there. If ever, if ever, if ever it should be fertilized.
0: Sure. Maybe um, maybe three. I don't want to do like a ten part <laughs> weird romance series that we're over in over our heads about. But I'm agreeing to one.
1: Yes. Indeed. <laughs> and I was thinking more of like, and this is just me getting the idea out of my head. Um there's a there's a writer named she's a contemporary. She's one of the best sellers. Um Sue Grafton or something like that.
0: I've heard the name.
1: Yeah, she 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 writes a genre, mystery, but she sets her genre in the same town every time. Mm. So people that read her books and follow her books, and the reason she's made a career out of this, partly, she's a great talent and all these other things. But core to her business is people go for the town. It's called Two Pines or something like that. Right. And they love being there because she so minutely describes the places there. She goes to the coffee shop in every book and she describes it and she has some mainstays and some staples, and people love that, and people actually go to that town, which exists, it's somewhere in Canada, and they go and visit and compare with the book.
0: Sue Grafton?
1: I believe it's Sue Grafton. It's one of, yeah, I really wanna say it's Sue Grafton.
0: is for yesterday. She's got a lot of letter books.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's her, uh, what do they say, schtick, that Every She's gonna write the alphabet, so she's gonna have 26 books.
0: 26 books
1: hmm, but it's whatever author has the two pines place
0: keep talking. Yeah
1: So that's just so that is to say that's me just dreaming not necessarily saying I want to write a book a year things like this, but I Like that idea of setting it in a real place and a place that is identifiable on an American map that people could conceivably go to
2: Right.
0: I had this book that was son to me, and I started reading it. It's like that where this woman wrote oh, Dang, at least I wish I could remember what it was. Where if I had it, where this woman wrote about this town, this little town somewhere in the Americas and based it on real people and real characters, but it was like a fiction book. But it was about some like priest or something. And it was very it was like a very tame book but became very successful um mm. and i wish i knew i started reading it and found it somewhat interesting um but yeah it's kind of cool that it was this real place with real peoples based on real stuff but um also fiction
2: yes
1: and i like the idea i think there's a lot of a lot of intelligence in that the old sense of intelligence where Like, as I'm moving the pages in the book, I feel each page, right? And I'm attentive to details, that kind of, like, intelligence in the idea of small town. Mm. Because it lets us put the macrocosm in a micro. Mm. So we get a bird's eye view of our territory. It's not like we're going to New York City and we're writing a New York novel.
0: We're not Fitzgerald. We can't do that.
1: (laughs) But in a way... And this is just me again, like zooming out from it. It seems like that's what's called for nowadays. As you know, people are leaving small towns, leaving the middle of America. They're going to the coast. They're going to cities. That's not the end of the story. There's a there are a lot of people still in smaller towns trying to figure out. Mm. I just lost my nephews. I lost my nieces. They all going into this. Blah, blah, blah. What about me? <laughs> you know, or what will become of this? Place when the school shuts down. Mm. I think there's something about that, and some classic, most many classic books are set in those little idylls, idylls, right? Like the and there's a great poetic tradition of the shepherd, you know, with the oaken pipe and simplicity, farmland. So I, I think there's, I I really like that impulse. I think that's a good. That's I think that's the right instinct for for this project.
0: Yeah, And early
1: America's like, tell me, tell me more about that. Like the timeline.
0: I don't really know. I just like the idea of it being a simpler time, no technology, (laughs) no, well, I mean, maybe like cars or something, but like, um, just to, I don't know. I just think you can take something sort of older, I don't wanna say old world because that makes it sound like but like and make it applicable and appealing to modern readers which you don't think and you're always talking about you know you want to make right the next grapes of wrath you can't do that right now we are pretty good right now wait until the next recession <laughs> but uh why not just take that and take what's happening now just in sort of our cultural milieu and transport that into a different time, yes, because it's all it's all universal, like at the end of the day, we're just repeating cycles in different ways, and like I like the idea of being able to take that, and you know now, as a country, we're kind of older, you know like. We, we've we gotten 250 years under our belt, and taking it back to an earlier time within our American history, but replaying those things, um, and then maybe too lofty.
1: <laughs> it sounds like you're asking us to go into the belly of a whale, <laughs> rescue our dead father. It's bloody difficult. <laughs> It will be bloody difficult. But I think it's I think it's the right thing to do. Because 250 years, that's about the third generation. And you know what they say about third generations in car lots?
0: I only know what they say about third generations of books. <laughs> but what do they say about car lots? Well,
1: the founder, the grandfather, works as Butt off, and his mule dies, and the wife is like disheveled, and they almost starve to death. But he he pours the concrete, he gets some cars by hook or crook, and he starts selling them. And before he dies, he turns a profit. His second, his first son, seeing the hardship of his father and being his apprentice and pretty much going through the same layer of hell, does better than his father because he had an earlier starting point but he doesn't want to transfer that pain to his son so the third generation screws it up we're the worst <laughs> we're the worst we're, we're in the lap of comfort after the greatest generation right um, but we can turn the tide turn it upside down
2: flip the script boom okay
1: while you were describing that to me, I had a quick flash of 1920s,
0: and I know you I love the 20s.
1: I know. <laughs> so maybe riff on that for a little while, and we'll see what associates.
0: I got my little Fitzgerald quote up here. Maybe he's my muse. He knew I was going to write 20s novel.
1: <laughs> you should. You should read the quote.
0: Oh. Ugh. I'm not sure what I'll do, but, well, I want to go places and see people. I want my mind to grow. I want to live where things happen on a big scale. Mm. Just general. Wow. Mm. The 20s feel appropriate to me. I have okay. an endless fascination with the 20s. A very frivolous, reckless time, but very glamorous.
2: I can see an analog between that and
1: the frivolous information exchange and attention grabbing antics of our time.
0: I like the 20s because I feel like it's that first switch into this modern consumerism where debt was created, and advertising became a big thing, and you know, the start of the film industry all sort of is bubbling up. And like, it would take some time to catch in a small town. So it's this like whispers of this future that uh, hasn't quite caught up.
1: If we move to character from that premise I can I can empathize or identify to some degree with a character who would feel like they know things before they happen but they they screw up saying it every time and it's not like they they become black sheep or anything like that but it's just like dude I'm squinting and I don't see it on the horizon
0: (laughs) Mm. yeah I like the idea of the two main characters, one being this, like, sort of, like, fisherman or, like, laborer that, like, has a wild interest in intellect versus this other female who's maybe a more wealthy kind of quirky spinster <laughs> who's unmarriable <laughs> and has this, like, um, has this like want for like information and like the bigger questions and this like yeah this like outlook that outstretches her like capacities as what she's what she's told shes to be <laughs> um. Wow. It's like okay. a different
1: kind of net. It's like a, a mental, spiritual, emotional net. And the, the guy's net for the fish, it's like a physical manifestation.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like the idea of like, maybe there's some like hidden legend of like some buried treasure in a coal or something. And her obsession is to find this thing. And mm. um, somehow they, they meet, cause they're from two different worlds, right?
2: socioeconomic
0: yeah I I would yeah I would say so um yet um somehow they find each other and then they come together on this journey (laughs) and maybe the guy just placates to her because he wants to win her and she's sort of no-nonsense very like we have to find this thing and he's like okay (laughs) Um, I don't know but that's sort of like that's sort and of the story.
1: Maybe it flips later on, where he becomes, he starts to see the importance of the mission, and she kind of relaxes into their situation. So the the so the threads aren't lost, but they're becoming a little
0: intertwined.
1: Yeah, with but with difficulty, since this is a book,
0: <laughs> <laughs> can't be easy.
1: No. Maybe. But I interrupted. You were saying something.
0: I don't think you interrupted. Maybe you did. <laughs> I didn't feel no. interrupted. Um, no, I like that idea. Maybe. I mean, I think we need to develop it. Like, this is just obviously very. But, okay. Here's the thing I like the idea for the first one doing the A, B, A, B thing. But I think if we did other ones they should be solo
2: yeah same characters or different
1: characters in the town
0: no i think same characters but like whatever we end there it's one novel with the one story and then the following one, same time period, but the other novel from the other perspective, instead of doing ABAB, a, B, it's like.
2: Yeah, I could see that. That I don't even,
1: I don't have any novels in mind that have, that have done that before. Where a novel is dedicated to a character in a romance relationship, a love relationship, and then the next year or so, the other person's novel comes out, and it's, it's like, like <laughs> as you're reading the one, you you're aware of the other forthcoming book, and so it's almost like reading with anticipation, and then the next one reading with retrospect.
2: Ah, that that
1: that's that's pretty cool.
0: I think that'd be cool. I, I feel like be- there's I feel like there's not many like series or trilogies that are written by different people. Well, and there's not many books written by two authors.
1: They usually cover that
2: up. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Pardon thing.
1: (laughs) I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's part of it. I also think part of it is, again, I don't understand these things. It would be for an agent to explain to us, but um, an agent.
0: That Two seems agents, very lofty.
1: <laughs> Two agents, even. Um, the uh, bidding wars, all these great things, these good things, but um,
0: you're you're projecting into a future we haven't even started writing a book, <laughs> but now we have bidding wars. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we have, we have bidding wars.
2: <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> so prefacing I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to the business I do think there is a sense there is a sense in which there was a model of authorship under which books were marketed that is not slowly eroding but we are seeing the crumbling of now like there was a time when editors from Random House, Scrivener Took time with each individual author to perfect that thing because they thought they were writing for posterity.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm talking about Hemingway and Faulkner. Did you know that William Faulkner and Ernest Hemingway had the same editor? No. For a while, yeah. Uh, Something Perkins, Maxwell Perkins, or something like that. That's. And and the editor, whoever edited Fitzgerald's. uh, Great Gatsby, Mm -hmm. they took a long time on that last paragraph.
0: I don't think I have the Great Gatsby. I probably do.
2: Because they were writing for posterity. And then somewhere after that,
1: books became about the cult of the author. Post-modernity, the 60s, everybody's out making statements, so you get Thomas Pynchon selling books by becoming anonymous. Nobody's seen Pynchon. We don't know where he is. We we think he lives somewhere in New York. Never seen him, never given an interview. And that's what generates interest, intrigue. Can't wait for his next book. One comes out every like eight years and we don't know who he is, but he's got some secret information, right? And so what is it? What are we really buying when we get that product? What are we getting when we receive that product? Um, mystery. Oh what
2: mystery
1: yeah and You know you have those mega sellers that have a nice suit and tie They're they're safe in their genre. They give really nice interviews. They have nice families like it's wonderful life I mean who wouldn't want to be that guy or gal writing those books? Converting their pain of the past because I've one writer. I don't remember her name I almost think it's Sue Grafton, but forgive me if I'm wrong on this she was an alcoholic and she wrote herself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> don't, don't, don't put that out to the universe. <laughs> it's not true.
1: It might not be true. I'm saying that right now. Just like if I'm, if I'm corrected, I'm corrected. Um, it's not like a, a libel or anything. Yeah. This is just what I, what I think. <laughs> um, but I'm using this for a, an example. Yep. Cause she's whoever I'm thinking of said this in an interview for her book promotion for on promotional tour. So this was a piece of information that was deployed. And that's why I'm deploying it. So she was giving the interview, she was talking about her al- alcoholic past and how she got out of it through writing. Now that was used as a kind of like persuasive technique to what? Show us a value in her books. It, was, it wasn't a direct appeal, but it was definitely indirectly there. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it, it it brings the relationship between the author and the book into the marketing realm. Hmm. In Shakespeare's time, there was no such thing as intellectual property. People just stole from other people. <laughs>
2: well, and people it wasn't stealing.
1: Exactly. But it wasn't considered stealing. Um, like he made money because he was part of an acting troupe and the acting troupe made money because they got Performances and they really, even like, didn't like capitalists do it, they just got patrons, wealthy patrons, you know. Like, Shakespeare probably didn't consider himself an author at all, he considered himself an actor in a community, um, making money together, you know. And now it's become like individualized. But, but my point is this throughout all that, that is beginning to disintegrate. Some of my favorite big brand personality authors, Lee Child, for example, in the Jack Reacher series, is like 20 books of the same character, he's making the move from books to television series based on his concept. And other authors are doing that too. I heard Sally Rooney's Normal People got bought by Netflix for a a series. Now when this happens to enough authors, I think we're going to see a split from the individual person writing these books that we can't wait to see a window into their mind, like the book is icon, is being shaped into kind of a Shakespearean model, again, where it's Mm -hmm. like, let's crowdsource this idea, we'll put it on multiple platforms, we'll let the audience engage and participate and see where it goes. Well, when Mm -hmm. you do that, money goes in so many different directions. Resources go in so many different directions. Yeah. I don't know what the publishing houses are gonna do in response, because it's not like Random House or Penguin gets money from Netflix specials. Maybe in some backdoor way they do. So. I say that now to say with. I'm sure they get more
0: book sales from it. Yes. That's probably.
1: uh, Oh, go ahead.
0: I was saying that's probably an incentive for them to.
1: Because there was a time like with uh, John Grisham when he was in his heyday. He just wrote The Firm. Every time he wrote a book, a movie was made and an A-list actor was put in there. You know, like to your point, Random House was like making bank with their relationship with Hollywood. But now there are so many different intermediaries between Hollywood and New York City, right? Anybody with a podcast can become your your PR. Anywhere on the earth, like, but especially between LA and New York. So, I th- think us taking risks will, can be rewarded. And it's almost like let's pave the way for it in some sense, in our own way. So I really like, All that to say, I I do like that idea of alternate books like that. That's cool. Because then it creates the third level dialogue between two authors, two people, in this, committed to this world that individually they're expanding, collectively they're expanding, and you don't know. Are they gonna show up the next year with a book? You know, like, it's, like, that's, people, like, I would, if I found out about that with other authors, I'd be interested to see just how it goes. Mm-hmm. So there's a reality layer to it that, that would be intriguing. Because yeah. so many, I'm almost done, I promise. There, was, there <laughs> are so many interviews from authors that are boring. Because you know what, you know what you're getting. It's predictable, the format. So you spent the last year writing a book. Yep, I spent the last year writing a book. Tell us what (laughs) tell us what the book's about. Well, they pick up their book and they read the back of it. This is what the book's about. Okay. Why'd you write it? Well, I was going through a hard time in my life. Oh.
2: So this book helped you do
1: and this book helped me overcome it. Well, that's great. I can't wait to buy your book.
2: A hundred thousand authors say that. We gotta get out of that noise maybe maybe you know what I'm saying
0: yeah it'll be interesting I think that's a good like foundation yeah I like that idea um I don't want to commit to something (laughs) I can't follow through on but
1: same, you know me, I'm the forest flyer. <laughs> we're, we're, we've got something of a path, but one step at a time.
0: <laughs> right. I feel like too, we write the first one and see where that goes. And like, if, you know, if the money follows, then it gives us the opportunity to say, oh, okay, we can do it or not. But I do like that. I, I do like that sort of truth of the expansion of worlds into media, because that's the world that I know. Um, And you're right in the sense that you can't lone wolf (laughs) filmmaking. Mm. Like it's an inherently collaborative art form. And to try to do it all on your own is watering down your product and giving you um, a less effective piece of work. So that's, I like the ability to bring that into um, like a world of collaboration, because I think that's why writing is hard for me. I love to write, but it is such an individualistic exercise. and to bring people into that is uh, a kind of interesting proposition.
1: (laughs) I've always been the most excited to write when I've been called to write or when I know, like I have a guarantee that someone's going to read it.
2: Mm.
0: Well, we'll read it at least.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: Oh man, I was talking to Caleb the other day, and we were saying that we uh we should start a new section on the Randos channel called Refining with Randos, where you like have people talk about different things they're working on and like feedback. I feel like maybe we could make this part of it <laughs> if you want to.
1: I agree. Refining with Randos, I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I' gonna I'm gonna talk with him. Um, through today or tomorrow about um, that screenplay that I sent you um, and then he sent me one too but I think it'll be fun
1: <laughs> Caleb's brilliant
0: yeah he's a smart dude
1: he's he's prolific he is um, you're the man Caleb <laughs> keep it up <laughs> keep it out, man.
0: All right. Well, should we keep going? Should we stop here? You don't want to reveal feel, all the secrets.
1: Indeed, indeed. I feel like this was good for the record. We we got a premise, we got characters, and we have a trajectory of dream and vision. That's nice.
2: A good place to start. <laughs>
1: yes, it is. I have a, I have a kind of, I have a joyful noise that I call laughter.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I tend to have a pretty explosive laughter at times too, so I, I'll, I'll let it pass. <laughs> cool. Well. This has been We're With Randos. <laughs> Hopefully you uh, don't mind all of our terrible impressions of IDW uh, thought leaders.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, any last words?
1: As Polonius said to...
0: Well, uh, this sounds like it's gonna be very pretentious.
1: Yes, indeed. As Polonius said to the guy, who put the sword in Hamlet's chest and above all to thine own self be true. That was super pretentious and out of context. You you could tell I just wanted to quote Shakespeare.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, on that note,